Well, hello, Anthony. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Happy to happy to participate. Yes, welcome, welcome. And I'm I'm glad you could fit us in in between. You're in the car right now, in between sessions with your your counseling. So, Anthony, would you mind sharing what you currently do? Yeah, so I'm a troubled youth counselor. I've had this job for a little over a year, and I pretty much work with therapists, peer counselors, and it's a, it's a whole team, really. Mm-hmm. I've, we pretty much create and coordinate treatment plans for underserved areas and for the youth who need it the most, but otherwise wouldn't have access to behavioral health services. And usually there's social workers involved or foster care, mm-hmm. juvenile justice. Sure. Yeah, I, I love the gig for sure. Yeah, I mean, no, that, that's amazing. It's definitely a under-resourced area. How did you get into that? Was that something that you got into because you wanted to be a lawyer, or did this help spark your interest in law? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So originally, I was working in diversion at the courthouse, the juvenile courthouse, and diversion is essentially it. You know, if you, if someone, a kid walked over and, you know, broke my nose, punched me in the face mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and the first offense, right? The prosecutor wouldn't want to, you know, throw him into detention or put him on probation because it's just a first offense. So they would divert them. And pretty much it's like a, a counseling program that helps redirect offenders from the juvenile justice system through supervision and support. And then through diversion, I realized that you know, I really wanted to kind of explore counseling before going into law. Ah, okay. Right, right. So it kind of, you want to get to see both sides, right? The, the side where they don't need a lawyer, perhaps, and then the side where they do need a lawyer after law school. Is that something you knew you wanted to do for a while? Or is this a, was it a recent phenomena? Like, give me a, give me a sense of, you know, growing up, what did you know you wanted to be involved in the justice system as a, as a six-year-old? You know, some people want to be firemen. Some people want to be, apparently everyone wants to be an influencer or something. And I, I heard that, I read that in the New York Times the other day, that everyone wants to end up being like influencer or that's the number one wanted sure. job. I know for me, I've always wanted to go into law. As long as I can remember, that's been my long-term goal, specifically criminal law. I know I have a lot of, you know, I, I didn't grow up like in the best situation. had a lot of family members going through the system. You know, that always sent a message to me growing up. You know, when you see someone you love getting, I guess, thrown into jail, if you will, it kind of sends the message that they're beyond rehabilitation. And yeah. kind of sorting through those emotions myself, I realized that there are, you know, besides a few exceptions, rehabilitation is possible or achievable with with most, especially if you intervene young. And so that's the kind of angle I want to approach in, in law, really rehabilitative focused, forward looking. And yeah. Yeah. No, no. I I, I mean, that, that sounds all amazing. I, it's definitely the American justice system. It, from from my perspective, you look at justice as a mixture of like, you know, retribution and rehabilitation. We definitely mm-hmm. seem to be more on the retribution side <laughs> and not a whole lot of rehabilitation going on there. Very much a take the lock and throw it away. It's not the lock. <laughs> it's the key. It's the key and throw it away. But I'm I'm in, I'm I'm sorry to hear you know, you, you grew up dealing with that. Oh, it was, it was really yeah, no, it was important. You know, through, through those experiences, it really kind of defined, well, made it clear what I wanted to do. And so it gave me a lot of purpose, motivation. And yeah. so I would have it either, any other way. Right. Yeah. Where did you, where did you grow up again? It's a little, it's a little town in, in Washington. Okay. Without being too specific, they tell you like to be careful driving through. <laughs> so, oh, okay. 
Right, right. So, so, and 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 then from a little town in Washington, where did you end up for for college? Yeah, I went to I went to Central University. Okay, Central University. Where, where is that? It's in Ellensburg. Ellensburg in Washington. Yes. Okay, so so you went to school in Washington. Washington's a very unexplored area for me. I'm not much on the West Coast very often. Do you recommend Elmsburg at least? If you want to be like complete, like utterly and hopelessly bored, <laughs> sure. Yeah, if that's your ideal vacation. Well, you know, Anthony, my job is an LSAT tutor. I am utterly oh, okay. helplessly bored no matter what. So <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. I'll have to I'll have to take a visit out there. So you're <laughs> in Elmsburg, utterly and helplessly bored. Right. Presumably, you're studying something there, too. That's also utterly and helplessly boring. What did you major in? I, I majored in literature, and then I minored in interdisciplinary honor studies. You minored in honor studies? It's a fancy way of saying that I just did the honors curriculum there. Oh, okay, okay. So you did the honors. So you, you, you were definitely... Did you consider yourself a very, like, studious kid? Yes, I, I would say so. I always knew that education would be my path forward or the key if you will mm-hmm. so yeah I think seriously growing up right you wanted to be a lawyer and I'm guessing that was true during college too you were mm-hmm. the, the goal was to be a lawyer it sounds like you had a pretty strong focus on that would you be open to sharing with me like what you knew about the LSAT going in and and when did you start studying for it oh so okay so I graduated June last year and mm-hmm. then I like a week to my you know a week to myself a, a week, a week to yourself. Nice. Yes, I yeah, took re- really a- giving yourself a break. <laughs> well, I, I from Washington, I drove all the way to California. Just I the day after my graduation, I was like, huh, you know, I took this whole week off. What am I gonna? Do? I drove to California just on a on a whim. So that was my that was my week. I didn't have any plans. I just wanted to. I don't know. And so after I came back from California, I was like, okay, time to start studying for the LSAT. You know, I need that. I see that you need a 170 to get into the schools I want to get into. Mm-hmm. And I take the LSAT in September. So what can go, you know, what, what could go wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and- that's, that's, I feel it's a classic, like, oh, yeah, I'll study. I'll just start studying. I've got it. I'm taking it in a couple months. Yeah. So, uh-huh. Me thinking I get a 170 within a couple months of studying is a little bit of insight as to what I knew about the LSAT going into it. Hey, I mean, I feel like there are some cases of people who who they study, you know, two months and they get a 170 plus, but those are the exceptions. It's kind of like expecting you'll win the lottery. Yes. What was uh, that first PT like? Was that, was that a humbling experience? I know for me, it was super humbling. I, I definitely thought I was, I was, you know, the smartest kid in the room. And then I took that first PT and I was like, wow, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, no, it's definitely if you if you have an an ego, it will be it will be, I guess, destroyed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you have to come back for me, honestly. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. You have to rebuild your self confidence slowly over the course of years to come. It's yeah, that's what the first PT is like. Yeah, it's a, it's a lifelong project. What? Well, how did you score on that first PT? I got a one forty nine on my first PT. I got a one forty eight. Oh wow, very very similar very similar boats. What, what, what was that 140? I, for me, I remember it was just like logic games being entirely red. It was some cruise ship problem. And I was just looking at it. And I, I mean, I had known I had done terribly on the logic game section, but I was like, wow, I have really no idea what's happening here. Ironically, I did really well logic games my first time. Interesting, really. Okay. By, by well, I mean like horrible, but not as horrible as, as the other two, of course. Yeah. I think it was just the timing. Like I didn't know how to, I'd finished like half of the sections or 
more than half rushed through the last half and also the wording i had it was like it was a foreign language so yeah. i struggled with everything yeah dude, the, the timing man like that time that timing goes by so quick you start off with 35 yeah. minutes and you're like wow you know this is forever to do 24 questions or something and mm-hmm. all, before you know it, it you're, you're counting down the seconds you know it's, it's there's five minutes and 36 seconds left and you're you're only halfway through the second problem yeah yeah <laughs> definitely so lr and rc were definitely more of the the, the pain points for you so you, you took that first PT. How did you, how did you start studying? Did you take the diagnostic early in your studies or were you one of those people who are like, ah, I, I kind of want to take, take some time study and, and then do the diagnostic. I did the diagnostic first and that's when I realized, oh no. <laughs> so, and then I, I studied for a week after that, just pretty intensely. I was, I was working full time. So, you know, after work, it's really exhausting to kind of condition your mind to be able to study for long periods of time after you know, working yeah, all day. For sure. Yes. And then after after that one week, I was like, okay, time for another practice test. So it's where's you know, where's my 170? And <laughs> I got a 148 again. I was like, okay. Oof. Then I yes. So I, that's when I started to, you know, realize I had to one cancel the Elsa I had coming up. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right, two, right, right. <laughs> and two, come up with a new plan. Yeah. That's what was that original? What was studying like that first week? after work was it just you're throwing yourself at books or were you using seven sage at that point in time i was using seven sage i i had saved up to to enroll in like the monthly services right so i was i was just a lot of you know watching the modules taking notes trying mm-hmm. a couple questions out it was pretty chaotic and unorganized studying for sure yeah i i you know i feel like the first couple weeks of LSAT studying can be a little bit more chaotic because you're kind of at one of those points where anything you do is going to be somewhat helpful. Maybe it won't be the most efficient, but you're coming from a point of basically knowing nothing. And so just going through mm-hmm. the core curriculum at your pace is it's useful. Obviously that might not materialize in an immediate score change, right? That's a right. example, right? Which is, is so normal, but the, earlier on, just because there's so much to learn, it's a little bit, it's not one of those things where I feel like you have to have the absolute most efficient study plan so you cancel your score or you not cancel the score but you cancel that test when did you decide you were going to take the test or was it something that you just decided like hey i'll sign up when i think i'm gonna be when i can see a 170 on the horizon it was so i actually i switched it just just two months out to november yeah that didn't really pan out too well but i could, I could come back to that <laughs> yeah so that was the original plan so y- mm-hmm. you switch out to november you start studying after you take that second pt what was studying like then was it still just doing the core curriculum or did you work your way through the core curriculum and you started to put together a more specific plan i i created my own study plan originally and i know for me i'm very like an incentive motivated mm-hmm. motivated by incentive i should say so you know it's a little bit difficult to incentivize studying for the lsat we have nothing really tangible to show for it at first right. <laughs> yes so to trick my mind i created like a, a whiteboard and i kind of laid out a study full of like miscellaneous studying tasks mm. and the incentive was when i finished that task i could cross it off on the whiteboard and then at the end of the week you know i should redo it so yeah, I there's, so, there's something over. super like addict not uh-huh. addicting but satisfying it's like a little dopamine hit when you check a box or you cross something out and then exactly. you, know, you get to the end of it and you're like wow it's all done mm-hmm. it, have, have you done that before the whiteboard thing 
Oh, through college, especially. Ah, interesting. And and you feel like, it, I, man, I need to start applying that to my life. I feel like I feel like I could it, like have a have a checklist or a whiteboard for for more things in my life. But for me, it'd be more just like basic things. <laughs> yeah, make bed, do dishes <laughs> at end of day instead of at end of week. Things like that. Exist through the day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, there's one checkbox, and it's make it Exist. to the afternoon. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's great for the procrastinators out there. Mm-hmm. You have that visual yeah. and hold yourself accountable in that way. You have to get a little, you have to get a little creative. Yeah. Oh no, for for sure. Sometimes I do like alarms that say, "Hey, hey, do this thing now." But it's so easy just to turn the alarm off. I feel like I've had a whiteboard just staring at me in the face. Be a little bit mm. more, be more of an incentive. So you had your whiteboard. What was on your white? Like, what was studying looking like? Were you doing a bunch of problems? Were you taking PTs? Just sections? It was, so I would do, I'm trying to think back, it was one time section of each part of the LSAT and then the blind review and then the learning, the seeing what I got wrong. So tell me about LR then. Mm-hmm. Did you find LR to be particularly difficult or was it more RC? RC is definitely my, was my greatest challenge, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I did find, I did find LR difficult until you like understand the, the strategies behind the, if you don't know the, the question types, it's insanely difficult. But once yeah. you're in the stra- plan ahead and strategize for each question type, it becomes, it's like a switch happens where it just all clicks eventually. Tell me about one of those strategies, if you can remember any of them. I know, I know one, some people finish the LSAT and the LSAT's just like, it's totally out of their brain. And they're just like, they just forget <laughs> it all. And honestly, that was before I started tutoring, this kind of my position where I, I didn't start tutoring until like three months after my LSAT. And by then I had to almost like relearn everything. But I'm hearing these strategies. Do you have a specific question type or a strategy that you found particularly yes. useful? Or, or it was like a real click moment? Yes. So the, forget the exact verbiage, but the, I guess not powerful to powerful answer choice spectrum looking for you know for for i guess strengthening questions weakening questions it feels so weird saying that again not powerful to powerful yes yeah, <laughs> not that's not powerful to powerful you know for strengthening and weakening questions you want to find an answer choice that powerfully strengthens the the question or the the, the conclusion i should say yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the argument. Of course, yes, the argument. Thank you. Of course, there are exceptions where it's just a subtle strengthening, but you know, it's just just a general strategy opposed to, for instance, a necessary assumption where you don't want to be too too powerful. So yeah, that that kind of you want yeah, to be yeah. pro- provable. Sorry, provable to powerful spectrum. Right, right, right. Now that's very helpful. I I definitely think that's something that I needed to work on too. Where very frequently with the strengthening questions, when you start. You just like kind of think everything can kind of work. And then after you start studying, you, you realize, no, there's one answer choice that frequently, right? Of course, there's those exceptions, but there's one answer choice that powerfully strengthens the argument and makes it a lot more convincing. And the other ones are, are more or less arbitrary or reaches. So mm-hmm. you're studying, you're finding good progress there. Give me a sense of like, how long, did you ever hit a plateau? Did you feel like you hit a plateau? Some people don't. I felt like I was in a, a constant state of plateauing until... <laughs> yeah, yeah, constant plateau, right? Yeah, yeah, a constant plateau up until you, you just aren't. I wish I could say there's like a specific shift that needs to happen or a specific change, mm-hmm. but really just consistency. Yeah, consistency. Just minor improvements until eventually, you know, it, it looks flat, <laughs> but in the long run, you end up going from that 148 to that 170. So you're studying then. I heard you said you signed up for November. But November, 
was not maybe a realistic target. Tell me a little bit about that November test. <clears throat> so, so I was, my scores prior to that were like fluctuating in my practice test. I would kind of break the 170s like every other test. And I was like, oh, great. Mm-hmm. But then I blow the 164 and I was just like, ugh. So it really messed with my mind and to, because oh, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't consistent. You, you have to be consistently scoring where you want to be before you take the test. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, I proved I could do it on, you know, when showtime, I'll perform well. And then it was showtime and my heart stopped and my eyes rolled back to my head and I forgot the English language. <laughs> so yeah, it's no. confidence is key going into the LSAT. And I did not have the confidence because of those like fluctuations. I got a, I think I got like a 165 my first. Well, I know it's not bombing. I know yeah. uh, I worked really hard towards that, mm-hmm. but for... For what I was trying to achieve specifically, it was below my my average pretty yeah. recently. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you need to admit, you know, it's for your goals, right? Obviously, you know, at Seven Sage, right? And, and just as, as a person, I, I want people to achieve their goals, right? And, and when people fall short of their own goals, I'm fine with you. Yeah. Don't, don't invalidate yourself. That's bombing for you, right? But that's just because you have a different set of goals than other people. That's so common, too. That, that, that happened with me, right? Where you... Sometimes you're going above your goal score and sometimes you're not. And you're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm just going to coin flip correctly on test day. And it very rarely pans out. <laughs> it, you very rarely get lucky and do better than you think you'll do on test day. It, it's funny how that works. Yes. You show up on testing, you like actually don't have any coins and <laughs> yeah, you're not even, yeah, not even near the bank. You've never seen a coin in your life before. Yeah. Don't have any thumbs to flip them either. Like, <laughs> no, no thumbs. So, yeah, was there a particular section on that test that you know you did terribly on? I, for me, it was the LG section where I, ju- I just, I didn't even get to the end of it or I hastily got to the end of it, but I, I knew I had completely messed up my first test. I just to give you a sense. I was like, I was PTing like around 171 maybe, but it, it was like you, was, it was a very up, or, up and down situation. And on test day, I woke up, took the test and I remember just like signing into ProctorU and doing that first LG section and I didn't get to the end of it. And then it was just like, I don't know. I think, I think like my mind like dissociated because I, I just knew it was not going to be a good day from there. Yes. No, it, for sure. It's, I had a similar experience where I was like, just please, I don't want to start with an RC because I want to have good confidence going into the RC section from the other ones. And then I got RC back to back first two because I had the experimental RC as well. And so that was pretty brain frying, I yeah. should say. And I knew I bombed them both. And so my confidence, yeah, it was not like, I remember when I finished the test and I couldn't recall a single question I just took because my mind definitely had to also escape the moment by. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's always a double RC too, right? When you're the kind of person who doesn't want to have a double RC, you always get one. <laughs> and you will have RC sections. And not only that, it's the double, the graded sections, the one you think you did poor, on, poorly on, mm-hmm. right? Like, inevitably. Mm-hmm. So RC was a bit of a sticking point for you. When did you end up taking it next? When was your next test date? So you, you get out of there. Do you like immediately know you had to take it again? Oh, yeah. Yes, I definitely knew. So what did you change going from that first test to the new test or your your next test? Mm, I definitely did. I definitely did refine like my techniques, my strategies. For instance, I instead of focusing on like quantity, trying to get study as many questions as possible, I instead would do like really difficult questions and just take my time understanding, okay, what are the wrong answers? What are the right answers? And then for my timed timed ones, I lowered the the time limit to you know help me out a little bit when I actually I do a, a full one. Yeah, just 
those little critiques, changing your your approach to studying and really just focusing on understanding the strategy opposed to any individual question. No, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Especially the quality over quantity hits home mm-hmm. so hard with me. And, you know, I try to instill that in a lot of, especially with people in the 160s, there's always this tendency to to want to do a ton of volume. But the more volume you, you do, it's like the less good your work is. And I don't know, at least for me, it's almost giving myself like permission to be a little sloppy, right? It'd be a little lazy with my reasoning because I'd be like, oh, well, even if I get this question wrong, I have another section I can do today. And maybe I'll right. do better on that. Whereas after my first test, I also decided that quality was going to be the most important thing. And I moved to just like a section a day. It was under an hour, but that hour was just much more intense right it took a lot more out of me i was probably more drained at the end of the hour than i than i even was before just from really going through like what is the right aspects of this question are these answer choices and what are the wrong aspects of this answer choice i think that was definitely a super helpful with rc did you find that that was helpful or like did anything help you more with rc going from that first test to that second test Yes, big time. So I started approaching RC the way I approached logic games, which is putting in more time in the into reading, reading like carefully than in the questions themselves. That really, I guess, served me well in the long run. I guess one specific strategy I used was, and this one I don't hear mentioned very often. In fact, I, I usually hear people kind of reject this strategy. Ooh, okay. Just, we got a, a hot take coming in. It's it's definitely a, a preference thing, but it worked for me, which is to help me stay focused and understand what I'm reading. After I would read a sentence, I would go back and then highlight like one or two words that capture that sentence. And I do that all the way throughout the section. And it sounds super time consuming, but after some practice, you become pretty efficient at it. And it, it does take a lot of time away from the questions, but the questions become a breeze because it really encourages you to critically think, okay, what I just read, what was important from that? And to reflect for a split second before moving on to the next sentence. And that reflection is like critical to getting the questions right. Anthony, you're like my spirit animal right now. I cannot tell you how often I tell people you got to spend more time on the passage. Like the passage is where you need to be devoting your time. Mm -hmm. And because as you said, right, if you actually understand the passage, these questions are not actually that difficult. It's only difficult if you don't understand the passage. And and so you have to devote a lot more time up front understanding the passage. And I mean, what I hear about the highlighting thing is is very, people don't like highlighting because they don't like mindless highlighting, right? Mindless highlighting is not helpful. If you're just highlighting random sentences that you think you're going to go back to, you're probably not. But what I'm hearing you say is that you're highlighting words because those are like the impactful or meaningful words of that sentence. Mm-hmm. I would totally would endorse that because it's forcing you to really understand, well, what does this sentence mean? I really like that strategy because it's forcing yourself to really evaluate like what makes this sentence important by finding those words. Do you have any other hot takes on this test? I do, but I don't think you'd encourage this. Okay. Just, no, that's all right. It's not about what I'm encouraging. It's just about, you know, this is your platform. So for, well, I have two specific ones. One RC and then one in a more general broad sense. But for RC, I know low res summaries are strongly encouraged by, mm-hmm. by most tutors. I seven stage as well. And I had the mindset that, okay, if I practice low res summaries enough, eventually it will be 
be useful. It would be a great strategy for me. I mean, if all these skilled LSAT test takers are all saying that this is what works, then this is what works. I have to figure out what I'm doing wrong with it. And then it just never worked for me because I would like look back at my lower summary and I was like, okay, like this is not... I was spending too much time trying to find the right words or if you don't spend much time finding the right words, then you have a bunch of, you know, useless words strung together next to each paragraph. Um, (laughs) Uh, So my advice there is there are going to be like strategies that are widely used and widely encouraged, but I wouldn't force anything onto yourself that doesn't work for you. You can be creative and, you know, find a strategy that you don't hear talked about, create your own popular one. So that's hot take number one. That doesn't honestly, I feel like even though maybe the the anti-low rest summary is pretty hot, I would say that the take is is very correct, right? It sounded like you spent enough time with low rest summaries to realize that they don't work for you. And at that point, no point in, you know, banging your head against the wall just to do the low rest summary. Because ultimately, it's not a test of low rest summaries, right? It's a test to can you get the questions right, right? So if it's not going to work for you, absolutely no reason to jam low rest summaries down your throat. I, I think that's super wise and great advice, really, which is, you know, after practicing a strategy for, and it sounded like you had had tried very hard to get it to work and you realized it didn't work. That's great. I think that's totally smart to, to decide like, hey, maybe we're going to do something different. And I think that makes a lot of sense to me. So I will say I'm not the most bullish on low res summaries. I'm not the most bullish on low res summaries when it comes to, to tutoring. There's a spectrum of opinion on that. So, and, and maybe that's just anecdotal for me, but you've got another take that I, I, wa- I want to get to. Oh, yes. Let me let me recall it. <laughs> so, um, and this is also just a personal preference. I'm really just trying to capture that at the end of the day, your techniques are going to be unique to you. I won't skip questions. I know that's really emphasized. If you don't understand the question, don't like spend your whole test on that question and move on. And of course, that's true. However, for me, I when I when I get to the end of a section, I don't go backwards and look at anything that I had questions on because I have a, I'm prone to second guessing myself and then switching it to incorrect answers last minute just because I went back there. So I have too many, you know, negative experiences with that. And also it makes me a little bit anxious to not understand a question because it's always in the back of my mind going forward. Oh, I skipped this question and I need to hurry because I need to get back to it. It's just a little tiny weight that I you, you can't have any weights on your mind going going through the, yeah, the question true. focused. So if I don't understand a question right away, then I'll take a little bit of extra time to feel confident before, before moving on. As confident as you can within, a, you know, still being efficient. So I would say what it means to skip a question, I would feel like towards the end of your LSAT journey is probably a little different than maybe someone who's mm-hmm. struggling a little bit more, right? For, for you, what did you end up scoring? Again, remind me on your final test. On my final test, I scored a 171. Very but, nice, yeah. So you know, if you're in the the upper echelon of test taking, the I, yeah. I I would I would say probably a long time for a question is probably you know pretty short, right? A minute and a half, two minutes where you don't realize what's happening here. But I but I think that's that that's reasonable. It sounds like you know yourself, right? And you you know that hey, look for me, like the the cost of skipping a question is actually much higher than the the time it would take for me to to get that question right. And it sounds like, too, you're also confident enough in your abilities to the point where there is a light at the end of that tunnel, right? Where if you don't understand a question, you will eventually understand it within the, the amount of time it would take to get through a section, so. My overall point is try different techniques. Don't be afraid to switch it up. Find what works for you. And when you find what works for you, it will make sense because it works. I don't know how else to... Incredibly wise, right? Just to 
if you know yourself, right, and you know that something's going to work for you or not work for you, trust trust yourself on that. Obviously, try everything out and then take what you like and, mm-hmm. and discard what you don't like. You scored one. What test was that? 171? It, it was my second time taking it. It was in January. Okay. Very nice. So you did November just to January, improved the, the quality of your studying and got a 171. Very nice. How did that feel after getting that score back? Relieving? It felt relieving. Well, I guess I say this in just the most objective way possible. I, I underperformed on test day. I was scoring a lot higher. So mm-hmm. for a second there, I was like, oh, I had averaged 174 the last several practice tests. And mm-hmm. so for a second, I felt like, how did I underperform again? But then I just realized, oh, wait, what? And you know, I, yeah. got a, I, I scored in the top 3%. And then just kind of, I just realized how, like, how much work I put into this and how much I dedicated myself to it. And I was just like overwhelmingly proud of myself. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I don't. You should be. Yeah, 171 is an amazing score. Oh, well, thank you. It's, and more than anything, I want to encourage people with a similar like backgrounds or experiences as mine, where it may feel, I guess, impossible at times to accomplish breaking the 170s like you have these big goals and you just can't get through this first obstacle of scoring you know where you want to be because you feel like well it's gonna be impossible for me because I don't have the the resources that others have you know they have people help them pay for like these Mm -hmm. services you know finances it's it's a the LSAT is a money game and it's it could be a disadvantage for for most and discouraging even or on the flip side of that if you're missing the resources or or the support systems i know like as a first generation college student you know they friends and family they were like happy but they didn't they weren't exactly aware of the situation so they didn't know how to support me through it yeah and so i could feel isolating in that way so if you're, if you're missing the financial or social resources, I really just encourage you to well, believe, have faith in yourself and believe in yourself that you can accomplish this from and just within yourself solely because it is possible. It takes consistency. I'm not even a lie. It takes a lot, like a lot of sacrifice, <laughs> a, yeah. a lot of sacrifice, but it's, it's possible. This test requires a lot of time and can be made easier, right? It's going to take time no matter what, but mm-hmm. it will be an expensive test. Even with fee waivers and, and various programs that are available to you, it's, there, it's not a free test to take, unfortunately. And so, that, I mean, I think it's just very inspiring to hear you talk out like, hey, it's still doable. And, and you're an example of that, right? You were still able to, despite having various challenges to overcome, beyond just the LSAT, right? You were able to get there. It makes me feel good that you're going to be a lawyer. It makes me feel like the youth of America are in good hands. Well, that's great. Where are you, where are you going to school next year? You know, ironically, I was so, as, as most people can, can get fixated on, T14 focused. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're on 7 Stage listening to an LSAT podcast, you know, like what T14 is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that's the kind of student you are because you're listening to the I, however, got an awesome, 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 awesome scholarship from my state college. And then I realized that, you know, their values and their curriculum faculty is very much in line with what I want to do. And also, I won't have to be, you know, paying off the debt for literally the rest of my life. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, that's incredibly wise. There's definitely an over obsession with the, the top 14. Yeah, I, I had a good offer from Georgetown. I had a good offer from UCLA. 
but nothing beat the offer that the University of Washington gave me. But the T14, not to hate on the T14 uh, seekers out there because, well, I was definitely one of them up until I accepted the offer. But if that is what motivates you to do well, then let it motivate you all the way to, you know, test day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's funny, too, because it's funny how stressful the LSAT is. And, you know, you have these goals that you want to achieve, but and you feel like the LSAT's going to be the way to do that. And, and you know, and for, for most people, it is. But but ultimately, just remembering, too, it's it's just going to be one part of your life, right? And, and then eventually, it's a means to an end, really, which is to get to law school with as little or as much debt as you want and where, wherever you end up wanting to go. And it sounds like, I mean, for you, I, I doubt you think, do you think about the LSAT? much now it's okay if you do (laughs) you're you're talking to someone who thinks about the LSAT all I mean it's my job but (laughs) well after I took it it definitely took like it takes a little bit for your mind to like get back to I guess normal oh does it ever go back to normal or fully I feel like the LSAT changed me a little bit (laughs) as as stupid as it is to say (laughs) like you definitely it's like almost like leaving a relationship like a long-term relationship where it's like okay what do I do now yeah (laughs) besides everything else I have to do, but yeah, I mean, Hey, you know, if, if it's any of my relationships, leaving a long-term relationship can be pretty cathartic, pretty nice. So mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately the LSAT just kept sticking around for me, but I missed logic games too. Uh, that that was weird to me. I really wanted to just like do a logic game for fun. And then yeah. <laughs> like, what, what's it called when you've been like abducted and you start to uh, fall in love with your kidnapper? Oh term? my God. You're, you're going to kill me with this. It's some syndrome. It's yeah, abduct. I'm looking. Abducted syndrome. You know, Stockholm. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, you've been Stockholm syndrome. By the LSAT, by logic yes. games. Yes. I don't know. I like logic games because it's just nice that it, I was so terrible at them at one point, and then I could just style on it. <laughs> you know, towards the end, I was just like, ah, this is this is no no big deal. Well, thank you a lot. I I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about this. Before we wrap up, do you have anything else you'd like to share? Any any last tips or or hot takes? No more hot takes. I feel like I didn't really talk about the strategies too much because the main, you know, my main, I guess, goals for the conversation was to really one let everyone know it's possible despite your circumstances, and and two to find what works for you at the end of the day. And I feel like I've definitely beaten that horse dead. So yeah, yeah. No, it was <laughs> it was good. It was a good conversation. Thank you. And if you're looking for those strategies, feel free to subscribe to 7 Sage LSAT Prep Plus with access to hundreds Mm -hmm. of video descriptions. And also, Mm -hmm. if you have an LSAC waiver, you can... We also waive the the monthly, or you can just, I think it's about about a dollar. You can subscribe for a dollar if you have an LSAC fee waiver. So please join us or and i know other test prep services offer similar things too so please take advantage of that if that is something that applies to you well anthony thank you so much i really appreciate the conversation and and your time and uh, it's it it's good getting to know you oh i appreciate that all right all right it was, good, it was good talking to you for more lsat study tips visit sevensage.com see you next week <laughs>